السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته
Dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you a story about a man from the Ubad and Zuhad, the devout worshippers and ascetics who were non-attached to this dunya from the second generation after the Sahaba, that generation known as the Tabi'un broadly. This was a man who was a Zahid and an Abid and a Qanit. He was a person devoted to worship. He was a person who did not have any care about the trappings of dunya. He abstained from the luxuries of this world. And he openly commanded the good and forbade the evil. He would speak openly with truth in the face of oppressive leaders. He would pray throughout the night and would fast during the day. And his tongue was always moist with the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. He was jealously protective over this deen and was always eager to uphold the halal and the haram. This individual from the generation of the Tabi'un was incredibly trustworthy and honest in his dealings. It is mentioned in his biography that he was among a group of people imprisoned by an oppressive Amir because they were speaking out against this Amir and some of them were even inciting revolt. So this person was imprisoned among many others and the prison guards were so amazed at his outward piety and devotions and his seriousness that they trusted him enough to let him go home at night and come back to the prison in the morning. Imagine a prison where the jailers allow you to go home at night, sleep in your own bed, and you return in the morning. He was so trustworthy that when they would release him in the night, 
He would spend the night at home and come right back into jail the next morning and spend the rest of the day in jail only to go home later at night. Now it's mentioned that in the ensuing case of these individuals who were imprisoned, the Amir made an executive decision. What was that decision? It was to execute all of the people responsible for the uprising and revolt. So news of this decision quickly spread through the evening and the night. And this individual was at home. What do you think happened the next day? The next day, the day of the execution, this individual shows back up at the prison. The jailers were so amazed at his level of integrity and trustworthiness, and even returning the day of the execution, that they pleaded the case of this individual to the Amir. And they said, listen, this individual is extraordinary. You should allow him to go. Just release him. And hearing their pleading and intercession, the Amir decided in his favor and released him. This individual was exempted from the execution because of his state. But let's hold on for a minute. Who is this person? Who is this person, this man of zuhud, this man who had no concern for dunya, this man who spent the night in prayer and the day fasting, whose tongue was always moist with the remembrance of Allah? Who is this person who was so protective over the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This individual, dear brothers and sisters, is none other than one of the leaders of the Khawarij. He was one of the leaders of a deviant group that declared Muslims outside of Islam and who shed their blood and killed innocent Muslims. This individual was named Abu Bilal Mirdas, also known as Mirdas ibn Adiya al-Tamimi who fought against Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu and was one of the few who survived the battle of Nahrawan. This is who we're talking about, dear brothers and sisters. Now, if you only heard the first part of that story and didn't hear his name and who he is, you might come to look at him with admiration. Here's a pious man who is not attached to the dunya, who is devoted in salat and fasting and dhikr, in commanding the good and forbidding the evil, you would be impressed with that resume. But you come to know that he was also responsible for shedding innocent blood. He was also responsible for declaring multitudes of believers as outside of the fold of Islam. What this tells us, dear brothers and sisters, is that these outward qualities of piety are not enough. These positive qualities were outweighed by this man's ignorant extremism. And there are many people who have aspects of Abu Bilal Mirdas ibn Adiya today. The Prophet spoke about this mindset in many, many narrations. In one of them he said that there shall come upon people years of deceit in which a liar will be believed and a truthful person will be disbelieved. Years in which a treacherous person will be trusted, and a trustworthy person will be considered treacherous. 
He said, and the Ruwaybidah will speak out. This was a very interesting word to be used by the Prophet So much so, the companions asked, Ya Rasulullah, who are the Ruwaybidah? And the Prophet said, he said, this is the lowly and contemptible person who speaks out about the public matters, the public affairs. This is the Ruwaybida. In Arabic, the word Ruwaybida is from the word Rabida. It literally means the small Rabida. What does Rabida mean? Rabida means lowly and despicable and worthless. So the Ruwaybida literally means those who are utterly worthless. The utterly worthless. Abu Bilal bin Das bin Adiyah was among the Ruwaybida. His prayer, his fasting, his zuhud did not make him a good Muslim because he was self-righteous and he made takfir over the ummah of the Prophet and even took up arms and shed innocent blood based on his extreme and simplistic understanding of Islam. But not all the Ruwaybida are violent, like Abu Bilal Mirdas. And they're not all outwardly pious like him either. But what unites the Ruwaybida, whether they are outwardly pious or otherwise, is a lack of grounded religious knowledge and a lack of balance and proportion. That is what unites them all together. The Ruwaybida feel free to speak about religious and socio-political matters beyond their grasp and experience. The Ruwaybida of our time are eager to offer fatwas and to offer their unsolicited social commentary despite their lack of understanding about how the world works. They presume to be advisors for the ummah. They really think that they are nasihun and muslihun, people who are bringing reform and advice and goodness, but the reality is they are mufsidun. They sow corruption in the lands. The upright believer is not from the ruwaybidah. The believer knows his or her own worth. The believer knows his or her own strengths and weaknesses. And the believer strives to conduct himself or herself according to the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ and in a way that is befitting of a believer. Now to avoid being from this despicable group, the Ruwaybida, we have to work to attain two important things. Number one, that is sound knowledge. And number two, balance, spiritual and emotional balance. One of the basic principles of Islam is that knowledge must come before statements and actions. Before we say anything or do anything, we have to have sound knowledge about that thing. As Imam al-Bukhari famously mentions in his chapter heading in his Sahih, Bab al-ilm qabla al-qawli wal-amal knowledge comes before statement and action and one of the principles we hear time and time again from our teachers is ta'allam qabla an tatakallam you have to learn before you speak 
let us give an example of how this might look. I want you to think about a man. Imagine a man showing up to the masjid. He walks inside the masjid and he is in a drunken stupor. He is limping along to the front row to the prayer, yet he is drunk. And the imam sees him. What does the imam do? What would you do if you saw a drunk person walking in the masjid right now, hobbling over? The imam takes this man and he sits him down and lets him rest, talks to him nicely, and then sends him on his way. And sometimes this drunk man comes inside and the imam even sits with him and jokes with him lightly. This imam is spending some time with him, dealing with him where he is in that moment. This drunk man shows up several times to the masjid like this. Someone is going to see this man and get fed up. Maybe someone says, May Allah curse this person. They keep coming to the house of Allah in a state of drunkenness. Do they not have any respect for the house of Allah? What would you think if the Imam disapproved of that curse and said to the person, don't curse him because I know him, I know his state and I know that he loves Allah and his messenger What do you think would happen? Now the Ruwaybila, those people who think that they are the legitimate and only defenders of the deen of Allah and who want nothing more than to stir up problems in the name of defending the deen they might say that this imam is promoting drinking they might say this imam is being soft with the fusaq this imam is mudahin this imam is watering down the deen they would denigrate the imam they would attack the imam they would question that imam's ability to lead the community they would question this imam and say you know he's not really teaching the pure Islam and Islam is Sahir. They would say that, you know, Allah has spoken about the alcohol in the Quran and has prohibited in, un, in no uncertain terms. It is very clearly haram. So this Imam, you know, he's just watering down the deen. He's just playing games with Allah's religion. So what is the status, they might ask, of a person who plays games with the deen of Allah? What is the status of the person who treats a drunkard in that way. But there's two major problems with this understanding. Problem number one is they're looking at this person's actions, his drunken state, and inferring from that the state of his Iman, assuming that because he is a drunk, he lacks Iman. Whereas the reality is Allah tells us, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, ijtanibu kathira min al-dhan, O you who believe, stay away from much of conjecture and suspicion. Indeed, some of that is even sinful. So this ignorant person who's criticizing the Imam is not even sure about the Imam's reasonings for his actions. But he still feels the right to call that Imam out and claim that he's watering down the deen. The second problem with this is that this person criticizing the Imam is actually speaking about the deen of Allah without knowledge. 
They're speaking ignorantly about the deen. While Allah Ta'ala tells us, وَلَا تَقْفُ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ إِنَّ سَمْعَ وَالْبَصَرَ وَالْفُؤَادِ كُلُّ أُولَئِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولًا He tells us, do not claim that which you have no knowledge concerning. Indeed, the eyes and the ears and the hearts will all be questioned about the claims they make. This is the problem, dear brothers and sisters. The Ruwaybida have a very surface level understanding of Islam. And they presume to act as judge, jury, and sometimes even executioner over matters that are far beyond their pay grade. Dear brothers and sisters, this deen, this way of life that Allah Ta'ala has guided us to, and Islam is not limited to whatever you think it is or whatever your mother or father taught you when you were five years old. This deen of Islam is not limited to what one learns in a few years of Sunday school. This deen is not limited to what a person feels it is based on feel-good speeches and sermons. This deen of Islam is not flashy videos of one's favorite YouTube sheikh or YouTube scholar. This deen of Islam is not limited to the popular sheikh on the satellite station who has a large beard and who riles up the audience with his half-baked fatwas of halal and haram. Indeed, dear brothers and sisters, Islam as a faith, as a theology, as a mode of practice is built upon consistent principles which are grounded in the sacred text of Islam and which are reiterated and elucidated throughout centuries of Muslim scholarship. Going back to that Imam, that Imam who would entertain the drunkard, who would allow him in the masjid and talk with him and even laugh with him at times. Do we know who that Imam is? The Ruwaybidah may say it doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter how much knowledge he has. It doesn't matter how much he has contributed to the Ummah of the Prophet None of that matters because he should learn the true Islam. He should not water down the haqq. That's the attitude of the Ruwaybidah. The ignorant zealot will say none of this matters. But I say to you, dear brothers and sisters, it most certainly matters who this Imam is. What if I tell you that this Imam was not any ordinary Imam? What if I tell you this Imam was the greatest and the most famous Imam ever? What if this Imam is the Imam who brought you Islam? What if this Imam was none other than Sayyiduna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Indeed it was. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah mentions in his Sahih from Sayyiduna Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu that a man known as Abdullah would come sometimes and sit with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and laugh and he would come drunk at times in this state. And yes, he would be reprimanded. He would be corrected. But he would come time and time again, struggling with alcoholism. At one point, someone in the masjid said, May Allah curse him. How often is he coming to the masjid in this state? And to this, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, لَا تَلْعَنُوهُ فَوَاللَّهِ مَا عَلِمْتُ إِنَّهُ يُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ He said, do not curse him, 
For I swear by Allah, what I know is that He loves Allah and His Messenger. You see, dear brothers and sisters, this is the problem with ignorant zealotry. This is the problem with the know-it-all attitude of some people who have minimal understanding and learning in matters of deen, but who think they know more than they really do, who are quick to judge others based on their superficial understanding of Islam. They watch some YouTube videos from a sheikh who sounds convincing because of his age. He is convincing because of his appearance. He says all the right words. He must be the real deal. This is because we are in an age where people are convinced by the one who looks the part rather than the one who has real knowledge. We're living in an age where the one who sounds the most confident and the one who looks the look is seen as the real scholar. These rawaybida, these ignorant zealots, read a few articles online. They may even take a couple of classes or courses and after that they think and their foolish delusion that they can critique and pick apart the discourse of their ulama who have spent decades upon decades mastering the ulum al-ala and ulum al-maqasid, the ancillary and main sciences of Islam. They think it's that easy. They think that the one who looks the strictest must be the most knowledgeable. The one who looks like he plays the part, must actually be playing the part in sincerity. But you cannot be fooled by appearances. How many a person who looks the part has nothing whatsoever to offer? Dear brothers and sisters, there is a story in connection with this, and a warning from being fooled by appearances. It is mentioned by Imam Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, the author of the famous commentary on Sahih al-Bukhari. He mentions in one of his works that there was a man by the name of Shams ibn Ata al-Razi. Shams ibn Ata al-Razi was one of the advisors of Tamerlane, who was the founder of the Timurid Empire that ruled from Russia to India and from the Mediterranean to Mongolia. Shams ibn Ata was what we would call a charlatan, someone who wears the garment of ulama, who speaks the words of ulama, who knows a few things but is ignorant of far much. But he's pretending to be a scholar and he became an advisor in the court of Tamerlane. After a while, some of the people in the court became very suspicious of Shams ibn Ata'ah. And they thought, what can we do to see if he is the real deal or not? And they said, let us convene a gathering and we'll just ask him lots of difficult questions to test him and see his level of learning. So they convened this gathering. And Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani mentions that the mashayikh, the ulama of the area came and were sitting in this gathering asking him different questions. And one of the questions was, is there any hadith which mentions the Maghrib prayer being shortened during a journey? Can we shorten Maghrib prayer for traveling? Absolutely not. Under the right conditions, a person can shorten Dhuhr and Asr, 
and Isha. But there's no shortening for Fajr, which is two rak'ahs, and there's no shortening for Maghrib, which is three rak'ahs. So they ask him, is there any hadith which says that Maghrib can be shortened during a journey? And without even pausing, <coughs> Shams ibn Atah, he said, yes. It is mentioned in, in Kitab al-Firdaus of Imam Abu Layth al-Samarqandi, a hadith from Jabir recorded in Kitab al-Firdaus of Imam Abu Layth al-Samarqandi. And when the gathering was over, those scholars and imams were still very suspicious. What did they do? They went back to Kitab al-Firdaus of Imam Abu Layth al-Samarqandi. They opened it up and they're going through every single page looking for any hadith. Even if it's weak, that mentions anything about shortening the, the Maghrib prayer when traveling. But they couldn't find it. They call him again. And they said, we did not find this hadith you're talking about. What did he say? Without even skipping a beat, he said, Ah, that's because Imam Abu Layth al-Samarqandi has Kitab al-Firdaus al-Kubra and al-Wusta and al-Sughra. There's three versions to this book. The larger one, the medium-sized one, and the smaller one. You all have the smaller one. And this hadith, I'm telling you, it's in the Kubra. It hasn't come into your lands yet. He's completely lying. He's making up things on the spot. And they realize this guy was nothing but a charlatan. Dear brothers and sisters, the lesson, the main takeaway, is that we have to be mindful of the religious material that is presented to us online and who is put up as the great mufti and scholar. Don't fall for colorful personalities or slick talkers and entertainers because storytellers and preachers may inspire but that does not mean they are capable of speaking about intricate matters in the deen of Allah Ta'ala. Islam, the way of Rasulullah cannot be reduced to sound bites and slogans. Islam is not a religion of sloganeering. It's not a religion of sound bites. Islam is a religion about knowing, about doing, and then becoming. Not a religion of sloganeering and shallow talking points. Being grounded in Islam and learning it properly are not attained by what people call edutainment. What is edutainment? It is education plus entertainment. You're not going to become grounded in your knowledge of the deen of Islam through mere edutainment. You're not going to be grounded in your deen by merely inspirational talks you hear online. People confuse between the inspirational and the informational, that which is grounded in knowledge and that which is merely inspiring. We have to know these things, dear brothers and sisters, because if we confuse between the two, it is feared that we may become among the ruwaybidah, whose shallowness and whose emotions cause them to fall into error. May Allah protect us and enlighten us with the light of knowledge and remove from us the darkness of illusions and ignorance. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.
الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيك ما يحب ربنا ويرضاه والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين يا رب العالمين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters The ulama The real ulama The scholars Have a very high rank in the Ummah of the Prophet and that is because they are the recipients of the knowledge bequeathed by the Prophet for he has said the scholars are the heirs of the Prophets the ulama, the real ulama are responsible for disseminating sacred knowledge among the Ummah they are responsible for clarifying to people what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil, and what is important and what is less important and more important. They are responsible for conveying the priorities we must attend to as Muslims. And in conveying this sacred knowledge, they are helping the Ummah. They are helping lead them away from hell and drawing them closer to Jannah by giving them the knowledge bequeathed by Allah and His Messenger But what happens when we are severed from that connection? What happens when the real scholars, the real heirs of the Prophet gradually disappear? Or what happens if they are sidelined? What if the fakes are mistaken for the real deal? and people ignore the real deal. The Prophet ﷺ tells us in the hadith that knowledge will not be raised completely from the ummah all at once. That, but it will be raised by the death of the scholars, by the scholars dying off one by one, not being replaced by similar scholars. Until, he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the people take as leaders ignorant ones who give rulings in the matter of Islam, and they go astray and they lead others astray. This hadith tells us that the real ulama will die. And as they die, people will begin to take ignorant people as scholars. And those ignorant people will be asked questions about the deen of Allah and they will give rulings that are incorrect and based on their ignorance. And because of their lack of knowledge on both sides, people will believe them. They will think them to be the real deal. Those people will go astray themselves and they lead people astray. There's a proverb in Arabic. They say, which means half-baked knowledge is more dangerous than ignorance. Nowadays, it should be very obvious to every single one of you, social media platforms, satellite channels, and so on, are completely awash with pseudo-scholars audaciously speaking about things they have no knowledge of. These are pretenders who might know a thing or two, but they are ignorant of far more than what they know. They feel they can offer their opinion, 
They feel they can offer their hot take about some hot button Islamic topic or what's going on in the news. But they are ignorant. They say, Qultu wa aqulu wa indi. They say, I say, my view, my opinion. Qultu wa aqulu wa indi. Faman anta hatta yakuna laka ind. Some of the ulama say, you say, I say, my opinion, my view. Who are you that you even have a view about matters that are very intricate and detailed concerning the deen of Allah Ta'ala? So we have to be aware of this, dear brothers and sisters. Among the signs of the, of the Ruwai Bidat is an eagerness to poke one's nose into very intricate and detailed religious issues that are above one's pay grade. Another sign of being from the Ruwaybida is to ab obnoxiously and arrogantly insist that one's own opinion is correct and that everyone else is wrong. Such a person's half-baked knowledge doesn't allow him to realize that there may actually be more than one valid view in the matter. And maybe his isn't even the soundest view. In their hubris and arrogance, the Ruwaybida think that they alone are on the haq and everyone else is on batil. They have delusions of grandeur and these delusions lead them to demean and defame and even boycott and warn against people they differ with, their brothers and sisters. We need to remember that speaking about the deen of Allah Ta'ala without knowledge speaking about its rulings is a heinous crime and it amounts to lying against the creator of the heavens and the earth. Allah Ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَا تَصِفُوا أَلْسِنَتُكُمُ الْكَذِبَ هَذَا حَلَالُ وَهَذَا حَرَامُ لِتَفْتَرُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَفْتَرُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ لَا يُفْلِحُونَ and do not utter lies with your tongue, saying, this is halal and this is haram, so as to forge a lie against Allah. Those who forge lies against Allah will never prosper. The very best defense for every single one of us, dear brothers and sisters, is to simply say frequently, I don't know. When asked about matters, say, I don't know. Ibn Abbas reminds us La adri nisful ilm Saying I don't know is half of knowledge We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us insight and understanding and to grant us tamiz, discernment and to not fall for the ways of the ruwaybida and we ask Allah ta'ala to shield us and protect us from being among the ruwaybida May Allah Ta'ala give us the true deen and not just the trappings of the deen. May Allah give us the substance and reality of the deen and not just claims and pretensions. May Allah give us ilman nafi'an, beneficial knowledge, and give us balance in our spiritual and emotional states. And may Allah keep us always within as-siwad al-a'zam, within the great thronging majority of the Ummah, the Jama'atul Muslimin, the greater community of the Prophet And may he steer all of us clear from all forms of deviation, misguidance, 
shallowness, extremism, and ignorance. Amin. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyyir ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim atasliman kathira bi qadri azamati dhatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين أقوموا إلى صلاتكم محمد الله